Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. Yeah. So grateful uh, for the, the goodness of God and His grace and mercy and His testimony uh, that is shared as as God's people just talk about his amazing grace in their life. And uh, Stephanie's been such a blessing to, uh, to all of us and just to see how God has answered so many prayers and to see her wild little boys, that's what she calls them. Uh, they're, they're precious little, uh, little, little boys running around and just growing up just as a testimony uh, to the Lord's faithfulness and uh, to his goodness. And, you know, as we uh, jump in today. We're walking uh, verse by verse through the book of Titus. We're uh, attempting to take a chapter at a time, and I found out this morning in the early service that I was not going to make it through chapter two today, most likely. So we're just going to go as far as we can get, and we'll just see how uh, the Lord leads. But last week we uh, we began uh, just engaging and seeing this letter that uh, that was written to this young uh, church planner or this young uh, pastor named Titus, and uh, he is. Uh, given instruction, right, in uh, what needs to take place there in order for the church to be sound, for the church to be healthy. And we see him begin in chapter 1, just giving instruction on these leaders that are being put in place, these pastors, these elders uh, that would be leading that church. And we looked at the, uh, the characteristics of these men and how this would all look. And I just want to remind you as we open God's Word today, and you can take your copy of God's Word and turn to Titus chapter 2, but I want to remind you that God has a design for the church. He has a desire for the church, and, you know, we, we had this theme last week that, that just spoke to this reality that God desires that His church look like a troop carrier or a battleship, not a luxury liner. And we gather with that thought in our minds. And as we went through this week, we met um, as mission councils and we met with uh, pastors in Clarkston, Georgia, where we uh, engage on mission. And we talked about these people that are uh, gathering there. That Clarkston is a, a place where refugees are gathering. And so many, uh, even these past few weeks, just a number of refugees coming in uh, and being resettled in Clarkston is growing just exponentially. And we were talking about these unreached people groups that God was bringing uh, even right here two hours from our midst. And we began to talk about what it looked like to engage there, uh, what it might look like to even uh, consider the thought of adopting a people group there and then somewhere uh, on the other side of the world that was the same. And we were just exploring all these thoughts about how we can engage uh, in a greater way on mission for the glory of God. And I want to talk to you this morning about a people group. You know, in the 90s, there were people that, that identified a geographical area, a geographical area of people. They called it the 1040 window, and it uh, was uh, pointing toward this, uh, the, the latitudinal parameters of an area uh, from 10 to 40 degrees uh, north of the equator, and it, it consisted of places in Asia and Europe and Africa. They called it the 1040 window. Uh, and of recent, there are some people that have identified another window, another unreached people group, the largest unreached people group in the world. And it's not a geographical window, but it's a generational window. It's been referred to as the 1030 
window. And it is this people group that is alive that is between the ages of 10 and 30. And it's spoken of as the largest unreached people group in the world. And as we think about what it looks like to be the church, what does it look like to reach a generation? What does it look like to engage on mission and to see a generation know Jesus? Now, as we open God's word today, as we walk through chapter two, we're going to see that there's some language that's used here. There's a language that points to generational differences. We're going to see older men and younger men and older women and younger women. We're going to see that kind of language, these individual roles that God gives to people in his church, these individual roles, they're separated in this passage by gender and by generation. And there's maybe no greater place in scripture that there's a demonstration of God's desire for the relationships between these generations to function according to his plan. Now, if you live in the culture that we all live in, you recognize pretty quickly that sexuality and gender and all of these things have been under attack of the enemy. These have been uh, terms that have been used fluidly of recent. There's these, uh, this, this massive confusion of the roles of gender in our country. There's massive confusion uh, in all of these, um, these roles. And we look around at our culture and we see the condition that it's in. We look around and we see the hurt. We see the pain. We see a, a fatherless generation now parenting uh, children. We see all of these things that are around us. And how do we engage in the midst of a culture where the world is experiencing the result of this brokenness? The world is experiencing all of these things. And I believe in Titus chapter two that we're going to see exactly how God calls us to engage. I believe we're going to see exactly how he intends for not just simply us as a church. You know, we were meeting with all these people as a church and saying, how do you, God, and we're praying, God, how do you want us as the body of Christ at Cowie to engage in, in, in reaching unreached people groups that you are uh, directing us to? God, where can you use us as a church? Where can you take our unique gifts and our strengths? God, where can you allow us to come together in that way? And I encourage you to pray for us in that. But then today, though, I want it to be much more personal and I want you to pray, no matter where you're at, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender today. So everybody, right? Like we're going to start with the older men, but we're going to finish as far as I can get, right? But we're going to engage with the youth and all the way down, right? So we're going to look at God's call for all of us. But I want you to pray and ask God, what is it that you would have me to engage in on mission for the glory of your name? How would you have me invest in a people coming along behind me, right? How would you use me in that way. Um, let's read Titus chapter 2 just in its entirety, and then we're going to pray and we're going to jump in. Um, scripture says this, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. 
urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect for the grace of God. And this is how when you sit and wonder today, today's going to be a challenging message. And when you sit and you say, how can I engage in this message, in, in this mission? And how, I don't feel equipped. I'm not sure that I can do that. I want to remind you that it is in his grace that we are able to do that. And, in, and he says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly righteous and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word, Lord, and I thank you, Lord, that you have assembled an army of believers in this place. Father, you've gathered us together as your people. And God, I pray today that as we come under the authority of your word, God, that we would submit to that authority, Lord, that we would submit to your plan in each of our lives, God, that we would recognize, Lord, you have called us to engage with one another in greater ways, Lord, and that you have given a plan to your church in the way that it should function, in the way that we should function as the family of God. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you will stir in us, Lord, a desire to teach, a desire to train, a desire to be part of your mission individually in our lives, in the lives of other believers. Father, we pray, God, that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, God, that you would, God, that you would stir in their hearts, Father, and that they might Surrender their life to you today, Lord. I pray that uh, if there are those in our families and in our, our lives around us, Lord, that you would help us to see how powerful it is when we live according to your plan as a witness to this world. And God, how you use us to proclaim your gospel in the way that we live. Lord, we love you and we ask for your help and your power to be present as we just preach your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when I first came to Cowie, I came as a student pastor, and in those days, they, there was a, an event that was taking place just a few days and maybe weeks after we had been uh, here at this church, and uh, we had a, a kid's wing over in an old uh, fellowship hall that was under the traditional sanctuary, and it was before we had, had built on, and uh, there was a couple that was there, and I'll show you a picture of him. Uh, some of you will recognize the, the picture from what we uh, have seen. There's uh, Charles Cave, and you'll see he had taken a lawnmower and then built this train that was uh, pulled around. And some of you uh, kids, maybe even in this room, might have even been in that train or, or recognized folks that were there a few years back. And, uh, and on that particular day, Charles and his wife, Josephine, were uh, in the bottom of the church down there, and they had a parachute. And there were lots of children that were gathered there with them, and they were there was a little ball in the midst of that parachute, and they were playing, and, and uh, you know, they've passed on and are with the Lord, and so I can call them old. Um, they were old. I looked at my wife, and I said, you know, that's what it's all about right there. I said, you know, it's one thing for us to be doing that right now. Like, we were engaging with students and engaging with kids and breathing in to a generation. I said, but that's, that's how I want to be when I grow old. I just want to finish well. 
just want to be those kind of people. And, you know, that train, he would pull kids around the playground down there. And, and there was such joy in that. So many of you probably remember riding in that train or seeing that train. And, and I want to I ask you a question this morning. Right, here was a man and way up in years. He said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in a generation until Jesus calls me home. And I want to ask you, who will take the train? And maybe a different question is, who will take and train? Who will take and train? Who will engage in that way this morning? Beginning in verse 1, he says, As for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And we're going to see him first speak of older men. So if you're an older man in this room, and some of you are saying, well, how do I know if I'm an older man? Uh, I was in a meeting this week, and we were talking about how fast the kids were growing up and how time gets away. One of the guys in that meeting, uh, Roger Plemons, was in there, and he said, you know, he said, I'll, I'll never forget, he said, this lady, he said, I was in the, the line at McDonald's, and he said, the lady looked at me and said, why don't you ever order senior coffee? And he asked a natural response to that question. He said, well, how old do you have to be to order senior coffee? And she said, you just have to look old enough. <laughs> so when you think about this term older, right? Now, there's some interesting things. We don't have every grasp on this, but some of you know that you're there. And in rabbinic literature, when I began to read, they would view uh, younger men as between the ages of 18 and 42. So uh, depending on where you're at, and then there's this picture of maturity that we have in, uh, as we grow in our relationship with Christ. And so as we think about these people, right, older men are to be temperate, the scripture says, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Now, I want you to think about what this culture paints as a picture of older men. Now, you might see a picture on the screen. Some of you may recognize uh, this from a movie, right? But you can think about this thought of what older men are like, right? And we think about older men. Sometimes we think about grumpy old men. We think about men that we might uh, encounter somewhere out in public that are having a bad day, right? That they're uh, maybe grumpy in some of that. But this word older, it's the same word that was the root of the word that we uh, saw for elder. And so it gives this picture of men who are mature in age, uh, men who are in that kind of situation. He says they're to be temperate, so they're to be clear-headed, uh, not bald, clear-headed. It means some Something different, dignified. So these men are men that are worthy of respect, right? You recognize people. Charles Cabe was a man like that when he walked into a room. Uh, there was something about his humble spirit that just demanded respect. You looked at him and you knew. Uh, you sort of wanted to sit up a little straighter when he walked in. I don't know exactly how to explain that. Those of you that knew him knew that kind of man, but there was a dignity that was there. There was a, a way that he carried himself. There was something about being around those kind of people. There was a, a little old lady and a little old man that uh, took us in really as young married uh, couple and and they, would, uh, they let us rent a little place for them for nearly nothing. They lived beside us. They let us see what it looked like to, to be married and old and to be still playful and having a good time. And they just breathed into our lives. And they taught us so much. We see people like that. I used to see him in church, and it was almost like he had a little glow about him. I mean, you just would look at him, and he was just, a, he was just such a man, but it was such a humble spirit. It was those kind of people. They challenged you just by being around them to be uh, pursuing a relationship with the Lord. You just look and say, you know what? I want to grow uh, in the grace and knowledge of God and be like that. They're to be sensible, right? This word sensible means self-controlled. It's this thought of uh, being uh, careful in their thoughts, this thought of, uh, of the way that they think, and right thinking produces right behavior. So we see those kind of things. They're sound in faith. They're 
they're understanding the Word of God. They're growing in the Word of God. Their life is submitted to the Word of God. They recognize the authority of God in uh, their, their life through His Word. They're sound in love. So, so that continues, right? They're sound in faith. They're sound in love. When you see that word sound in love, what's the love chapter in the Scripture? 1 Corinthians 13, right? We say love is what? Throw out some stuff. Patient, all right? Old men, that's what they're, older men, not old men, I never call you old. Older men, older men, this is to be described of you, not grumpy old men, but men who are patient and kind, gentle, all these things, right? These are the characteristics that should be of older men. So they're to be sound in faith, they're to be sound in love, they're to be sound in perseverance, they're to be enduring in their faith, they're to be the kind of people like Charles was that said, you know what, I'm going to finish well, I'm going I'm to live my life for the glory of God. They're to be people uh, like the, the, the Caleb's of the Old Testament that we would read about. They're those kind of people that, that, would, that would recognize the faithfulness of God in their life and would trust him when they're young, that would grow, and as they grow older, they would say, you know what? It's been 45 years, but I'm still serving the same God. And, and yes, the people are big. Yes, the, all the things are there uh, that, that are, are fearful as we walk forward. But our same God is with us, right? They're to endure in the faith. Older women, let's look at them for a minute just to keep things moving. Now, uh, notice he said older women and certainly not old women. We would never insinuate anything. So mostly like 42 and older. There's not really many people over 42 in here anyway, looking at you beautiful ladies. So there's no... Um, so he says older women, right? And so when we think about older women, we got older men, they're enduring in sound faith. Older women, they're encouraging in sound faith. Faith. Now, what do we think of when we think of older women, right? Maybe you think of the lady on all the Hallmark cards. Maybe you think of her. Maybe you think of this uh, picture of uh, just uh, some older woman there, you know, and you think of, of maybe some lady that, you know, is kind of sitting on the porch and doing her thing, the loving grandma. You kind of think of all these different things. But he says this, older women are likewise to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, verse 3, or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Now, so older ladies, if you're an older lady, you're to do two things. You're to, you're to teach what's good, and you're to do that through modeling. And when I say modeling, I don't mean like selfies in the picture, right? Because you're right, even though you're beautiful and not really older. But, but you're in that kind of thing. You're modeling, so that's the way that you live. So through modeling and through mentoring, that's the way that older ladies are to engage, right? They're to be reverent in their behavior. We understand what that means. They're not to be malicious gossips. Now, this word uh, for gossip that's used here, it's the Greek word uh, that's used for Satan and for the accuser, right? And, and gossipers, here's what they do. Uh, gossipers, they confess other people's sin when God has called us to confess our own. That's what gossip looks like, right? And it says they're not to be malicious gossips. And what I've learned over time is that if people will tell stories about someone else to you, they will tell stories about you to someone else. And there's no room for that in the body of Christ. There's no room for that, that mature ladies, they're not disguising it in prayer, right? Sometimes we've seen those kind of pictures or we've thought of those where we're like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? And did you hear about the situation that they're in? You know, they really made some mistakes right there, but you know, Ethel, we just need to pray for them. 
right? You're, you're not righteous in, in, in somehow exposing the sin of other people in that kind of way and then uh, justifying it as a way to be uh, saying that we're praying for them or that kind of thing. The speech of mature ladies, it's edifying speech that we're to let no unwholesome words proceed from our mouth, that it's this speech that builds up and does not tear down. And so when you younger ladies are looking for people that you want to breathe into your life, you're looking for older ladies that are... Uh, modeling this kind of behavior, right? That they're not malicious gossips, right? Because you want to be able to trust in that environment. And, and as older women, you want to model that in front of them. They're not enslaved to much wine. So it speaks to the addictive nature of alcohol. It speaks to those kind of things. And, and here's this picture. These, these older women, they're sober. They're not addicted to anything. And they're teaching what is good. So here's the thing that I think has been mistaken in the church in so many ways. Older people have thought, you know what? As long as I'm living a godly life, that's enough. As long as I'm living a godly life, that's enough. But what we see is simply living godly lives is not enough, that we're to teach and train, that there's to be a discipling relationship that takes place between older believers and younger believers. It's the way God has designed it. And so here are these older women, and they are to teach and train the young women. So let's see what they are going to teach and train. So these older men, right, they're to endure in sound faith. We see these older women, right, they're to encourage in sound faith. We're going to see that younger women should minister to their families in sound faith. Now, what does our culture say about younger women? You remember at the beginning, I told you that there's all this stuff that's muddled up in our culture about gender roles and all these crazy things, right? We find ourselves like in a Romans 1 culture, right? But here we are called to engage in that culture for the glory of God. And these younger women, they're to minister to their families. Look at verse 4. It says, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Now, yesterday I found a uh, podcast uh, for ladies on Titus 2, and I was like, I'm going to see what they say about this. And I'm listening to it. My daughter comes out and she's kind of looking at me and she's like, dad, why are you listening to women's podcasts? (laughs) And so I'm listening to it for a few minutes. And what I realize is that that here's this calling, and, and ladies, I want you to understand something. Older women, you've been given a task that is specific to you, to teach and train younger women that they might live lives, that they might love their husbands, love their children. And you're thinking, like, why would they have to teach them to love their husbands and love their children? And it's a word that could be uh, pictured as a reminder. And sometimes, you young ladies, you need the reminder to love us goobers, right? Say amen. It's true right? You need those kind of reminders. You need to be reminded of the importance and the call that God has given you in engaging in their lives. They're to be sensible, right? They're to be self-controlled. And and in that, these young women are to be people that are desiring to please the Lord and not this culture and not to be conformed to this culture. You see the word pure next, and it gives this thought of head and heart, right? That these ladies, these younger ladies are called to be pure, right? And we see sometimes in the lives of, of both genders, right? We see the impact of pornography. We see the impact of those things. But sometimes in ladies' lives, we see these romance novels and these things that have been twisted around that are filled with garbage, right? That they're taking in. Uh, and, and there's this call that they're to be sensible, that they're to be pure, that they're to be in uh, just a, a pursuit of godliness in their life. It goes on and says, workers at home. So here we go. It's like, what does all this mean, right? Workers at home, does that mean they can't work a, in a, a job? What does that look like? And, in, and this doesn't constrict or confine a woman 
to only working at home. We see in Scripture there's uh, places that uh, women are working outside the home and it's not condemned. And so we see those kind of things. But here's this reality. These, these younger women, they're to demonstrate their faith by the investment in their family. They, they see their family as the primary place of investment in their life. They see their, their family as the most important investment. Now, what does the culture show you about women? If we were to put pictures on the screen, we're not. But if we were, you would have one uh, very professionally dressed uh, lady who is a professional in her field. And out to the side of her, it would say, I need no kids. I need nobody because I'm the boss lady. I'm in charge of everything. This is where I'm at. You might find another picture on the other spectrum of that, that you might have a lady who is in the kitchen preparing some food for her husband and she is barefoot and pregnant, right? Those are the two extremes on the ends of this. But what we see in scripture is something different than either one of those, right? But there's a leaning, right? There's a leaning in older men that when they finish their work, when they get to a place in their life that they check out of the work, they check out of, of continuing to finish well, right? And our job as, as mature men, as older men, is to endure, is to finish well, right? There's this, this tendency in older women for them to sit back and to begin to gossip and begin to engage in those kind of things. And these older women, they're not to use their time in that way, but they're to use their time not talking about the next generation, but pouring into the next generation, loving the next generation. And here are these younger women. There's a tendency for them to be tempted to turn from these God-given responsibilities in family and turn to promises in the world that promise fulfillment that they will never have. And so here's this thought. Just because you work outside of the home, and I know there's all kinds of different uh, situations in our church, all kinds of different circumstances, right? But just because you work outside the home, it does not relieve you of duties inside the home. The Proverbs 31 woman is this virtuous woman, this hardworking woman. There's this picture of sacrifice in all this. So in order for older men, right, that they're going to have to sacrifice to invest in another generation. These, these older women, it requires sacrifice. They may, and for younger women, they may not be able to give as much time to their career. They may have to choose different things for greater things. Peter Kreeft was asked this. He said, what's your favorite book you've ever written? And I love this response. He said, the one that I didn't write while my kids were little. There are sacrifices that we make. There are things as moms and dads, there, there are things that we choose to do differently. There are things that we don't do because we recognize the greater importance. Oh, I don't go fishing every weekend. I don't go with the guys and do all these things all the time because there's a greater responsibility and there's a greater role for that. Now, here's another point. You ladies should say amen to this, right? That that these ladies are not the only ones that work at home, okay? They work at home, but they're not the only ones that work at home. I remember when Grant was little, um, we had gone outside and we were doing like some leaf blowing or we were doing some things like that. And he came back inside the house and Sherry had given him maybe some other task to do. And it was like dishes or whatever. I don't remember what the task was, but he looked at his mom and he said, I think uh, maybe I'll go outside and do some man work. He said, <laughs> so I've tried to teach him that, you know, we engage together in those things. But here's this thought. It says subject to their own husbands. 
Now, when we read this passage, there's, there's great teaching in Ephesians 5, there's great teaching in Colossians 3, there's great teaching in 1 Peter 3. There's a lot of uh, scripture that engage in this that we don't have time to look into this morning. But here's this thought. Men are called to lead with sacrificial love. Men are called to lead with sacrificial love, to pour their lives out for their families. Women are to support and encourage them as they lead in that way. That We see this, this call and this thought and this reality that men need respect and they need to be built built up as they lead and serve. And as men, we are to lead godly. We are to lead godly. We're going to look at young men next, but here's this beautiful picture that takes place when a husband loves his wife sacrificially, when, when that wife submits to that leadership, right? And this godly leadership that's there and something beautiful takes place. Matt Chandler says it this way, and I love the way he put it. He said, a husband sacrificially loving his wife and a wife submitted to her godly husband creates a relationship that the world would never look at and say, how disgusting and archaic. It's beautiful. And the scripture says when we engage in that kind of environment, in that kind of home, that the word of God is honored. Now, what if you're single, right? What if you're here this, this morning and you're single? There's a, a, a beautiful gift, right, that you have in this moment. And some people say, we well, you know I read in scripture of the gift of singleness. How do I know if I have that gift? I just want to remind you that if you're single right now, you have that gift and you're to use your time and the, the gifts that you have for the glory of God. I love, 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 love what Stephanie said when she said, you know what? I began to pursue the Lord and I started uh, to just become the person that I would want to marry. She said that, you know, as I, I love that thought. If you're single, just love Jesus and serve him. Love people. My, my daughter is involved in a girls discipleship group that met this past week. And in that group, there is a uh, a young uh, lady that's not married that leads that group. There's a married lady that helps to lead that group. There is a single mother that helps to lead that group. And so all of these different uh, places in life come together to pour into a generation. And this is this model that we see in Scripture. And so if you're single, use your gift, use your time to serve a generation. Lead in that way. You have a teaching ministry, ladies. God has given you this responsibility to disciple the next generation. And if you count yourself as older, God has given you this blessing and you're thinking, you know what? I, I don't really have the gifts. I don't really, I, I don't know that I could do those kind of things. Listen, there are no perfect moms. There are no perfect mentors, that, but we have a perfect savior who will equip you to the task at hand. And you say, how do you do that? I, I don't know everything about how you do it, but I can tell you this, part of it is done by doing right? Y'all have been so gracious to allow me to practice preaching on y'all every Sunday, right? Like, I have no idea right, what I'm doing, right? But I'm learning to preach by preaching. That's what's happening. And I thank you all for allowing me to continue to do that. You know, this lady's podcast I listen to, I want to play a clip from it. I want you to listen to the words. Um, she was denied by a lady. She approached the lady as a, uh, a young lady. She approached an older woman, and she said, I see in your life godliness, and I would love for you to pour into me. I'd love for you to disciple me. The lady looked at her and said, I'm too busy. I can't do it. I don't have time. And here is um, just a little testimony of her uh, response later. So check this out. Fast forward years later, I was in conversation with this godly woman who told me no. And we were talking about um, the needs for discipleship among younger women, actually. <laughs> and, you know, it was years later. Come on. I have forgiven her. <laughs> But she got very quiet, and after a moment of reflection, she said, you know, honey, I remember when you asked me to disciple you, 
And she said, honestly, I had never been asked that question before. And I didn't know how to respond. She said, I wasn't too busy for you. She said, I was scared because I didn't think that I could do what you were asking of me. And she said, baby, I'm sorry for how I responded to you that day. And that conversation left me thinking and praying a lot about how older women could be encouraged to embrace their calling to train younger women according to the instructions of Titus 2. Fast forward years later, you know, ever, I was in conversation. You ever feel that kind of way? You're like, you're like I, don't, I don't feel equipped. I don't think I could, I, mean, I just don't know that I could engage. I want to tell you, God uses imperfect vessels. He uses imperfect people that will depend on him and live authentic lives. And he uses them in amazing ways. A lot of you think, you know what, what's the best teacher? Some people would say experience is the best teacher. But I want to tell you something, discipleship is the best teacher. And yes, we see the experience of older people. We see the experience of those further along, and they've poured in to a generation. But experience is we learn from our mistakes. But when we learn from someone else's experience, we learn from discipleship, and we learn from the Word of God. You know, I'm thankful to know that every story in here is less than perfect. There are days that we look around and we we get on social media and we feel inadequate. We feel like we can't measure up. Satan has twisted and taken the hearts of of this thought of, of ladies serving their family well in Christ. And they've made that into something that culture tries to paint as a waste of time and a waste of dignity, a waste of talent. But I want you to know when I read the word of God, when we see godly young ladies pouring into their families, God says it's beautiful. And it's beautiful in this world. And it paints a beautiful picture of the gospel. And so young ladies, whether you work in a, a, a job or not, I want to encourage you to navigate care for your home, to Invest in your family so that the word of God is not dishonored. Our home should be so attractive to this world. It should be beautiful in what they see that that it causes the word of God to be attractive because of the the faithfulness of God's people, because of their functionality of the home. Our home should be the place that our kids want to be, our our husbands want to be, that we want to be because it is a place that is cultivated in God's love. I'm going to try to get to the young men because it's not fair to talk about the old women, all that. So we're going to, we're going to go through the young men. I'm going to quit. But here's the thing. Young men, we are, I'm, I'm actually over 42. Maybe I'm old. I don't know. Okay. So however that looks, like you can just kind of put yourself in there, right? I, it's kind of hard to know where that is. But here it is, young men. You're to be maturing examples of sound faith. Here's what we see in this. Listen, and, and before we even go any further, one of the greatest responsibilities that I have in my life, one of the things that, that burden my heart as much as anything in my life is to know that I have a 12-year-old son who I have a responsibility to teach him to be a man, to teach him what it looks like to love his wife, to teach him what it looks like to love God, to teach him what it looks like to be a man. That's one of the greatest responsibilities in my life. And it is a responsibility that in many ways is left solely to me. And my responsibility is to teach him to love God with everything and to love his family, to love his wife one day, to live for the glory of God and for the good of his family. And here's the truth for every one of us, young men, young women, all of us are to use our gifts, to leverage our gifts, everything that we have for the glory of God. Look at verse 6 through 8. He says, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is above reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad 
to say about us. Listen, young men, self-control, seeking the right things. That's what we're to be after. That is, is what we're doing, right? It says so that we live in such a way that we recognize there's a generation that's looking at us. Satan wants to discredit us. He wants to discredit us in a culture that, that encourages young men to indulge in their desires and to please themselves. In a culture where teenagers are, 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 are rampant with that, there's this temptation to uh, just seek pleasure and popularity. We see that, that these young men are called to be men of self-control, purity in doctrine, right? They're to be true to the word, growing in the word, engaged in the word, with spiritual disciplines in their life where they're spending time in God's word, where they're spending time in prayer with dignity, right? Here's this respect. It's saying younger men, not just the older men, but your younger men are to be dignified, right? They're to have dignity and respect, right? We read uh, that we're not to let anyone, right? When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, let no one look down on you in your youth. And that wasn't a message to the older people not to look down on the younger people. It was a message to the young people. Young people, focus in on me. I'm almost done. Don't miss this though. If, if you're a teenager in this room, if you're a young adult, be an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. He said, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but be an example of the faith to them in purity and in the way that you live your life. This world looks so different. And it says, give them no reason, right? Whether you're a teen boy, whether you're a teen girl, listen, we dress with dignity. We live in a world that says, listen, you wear crop tops and you expose as much as you can and it's gonna get you something and you're trying to find fulfillment. There's a generation that's trying to find fulfillment because of the attention that other males will give them if they're females. And, and as males, for, for the, the attention that they can get in other ways. But God has called us to be a generation who recognizes that purity and that living and being sound in the faith, that that's what is attractive. Live in a way. Pursue God and be who you want to marry one day. Be the kind of person that, that you want to be because you're following Jesus Christ, right? I, I don't know if you heard that song a little season back that got released. It said, modest and modest, right? That's the, that's the new fashion trend is what it said. It was such a great uh, song, and it was like from your dad, right? It was the name of the song. They, they took it off because it offended somebody in our politically uh, correct world that we live in. But here's the truth. If you'll live for Jesus and you'll pursue dignity and you'll pursue purity, it will change the way this world looks at you. And it'll be a beautiful example to this world of what God desires. Sound in speech, right? That means for you young men, and we're talking about young men. I'll give the, the girls a break in a minute. But you young men, sound in speech, it means what you comes out of your lips in the locker room tomorrow evening after school is the same thing that comes out of your lips in Sunday school class today. It means that what comes through on your text messages. And by the way, young men and old men, we... It would be embarrassing to some of you to see what text messages are coming through from your peers and for your parents to see those. And by the way, they should be seeing those and they should be looking at those and we should see a purity in our life that says, you know what? We recognize God's call for us to be examples of the faith, to be people that live the gospel, right? And there's something beautiful that takes place, right? When everything is the same, that's the consistency that between the generations that need to happen, this consistency that says we're living for Jesus no matter where we're at. We're living the faith. Our lives lives have been transformed by the gospel. We're pouring our lives into one another for the cause of the gospel. And there's sacrifice that takes place there. He talks about slaves in the next section. And we'll, we'll cover some of that next week. But there's something crazy in all that because he talks about the slaves and then he gives them this picture that they're to submit to them, right? And it's, it's, it's speaking into the culture that they're in. It's not, Paul's not condoning slavery. He's speaking into one of the most horrid uh, things in the culture. But then he says, you're to submit yourselves to those in authority over you and you're to live your life sacrificially because in... Uh, 
maybe verse 10, verse 11, we see this picture that the grace of God uh, has brought salvation to all men. And so here are these slaves who are under the authority of a master. And then when it comes to salvation, because they've been changed by the gospel, God allows them to be in a place that the way that they live declares the gospel to even those that are oppressing them so that they might know Jesus and be transformed by the gospel. And so throughout this picture, there's elders and all the way down from every um, gender and age in the church that we're to live sacrificial lives for the good of the gospel, that we're to pour our lives out for one another for the sake of Christ and to live godly lives in this present age, looking and knowing that Jesus is coming back and that one day all these things are going to be made new and we live as citizens of the kingdom of God here, now. We live for his glory. And for the good of all those around us, sacrificial lives, husbands, wives, older men, young women. Listen, before we close, if you are an older person, listen, God, it's not optional. This is not optional. At the end of this chapter, it says, exhort and don't shut up. He says, don't. He said, you stand on the authority of God's word and you keep on saying it till they do it. And let no one, he said, disregard you. He meant to Titus, he said, until you see older men and younger women in relationship with one another, pouring their lives into one another, growing in the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ, you continue to exhort and you continue to reprove and you continue to do that. And don't ever stop doing it. If you're an older person, Listen, I want want you to live open-handed and say, God, I I pray that you'll allow me to see a younger person that I can take my gifts and my strengths, that I can take my life and that I can pour into. If you're a younger person in this room, I pray that you would ask God to help you look for somebody that you could look at that's older than you, someone that's more mature in the faith, and you could say, would you come alongside and disciple me? Would you come alongside and just, sometimes we make this so complicated and we're so scared, but God has called us to this. And if we're going to see the greatest unreached people group in this world impacted with the gospel, this is what it's going to take. It's going to take every one of us individually embracing the mission of God in our individual lives and pouring in to someone else. And the question is, will we submit to the authority of God in our lives? And will we live for the good of the gospel? Oh, man, will we... Will we endure until the end? Will we press on through the faith? Will we endure in sound doctrine? Will we be those people? Older women, will we encourage those younger? younger will we, what will we do? How will we respond? We all know where we fit. We all have a role to play, and it's all essential to the mission of God and his people. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to close. I don't know where you're at this morning. But maybe even in these moments, there's some younger ladies and younger men that would just ask God to help just assemble someone in their life that could pour into them and to disciple them. That you would give them courage that they might be willing to go and approach someone and ask them if they would consider just getting some coffee and talking about what it would look like to get together once a week, a couple times a month, whatever that looks like. Older people in this room, I pray that you would be open-handed and saying, God, I... I don't see how you could use my mess. I don't see how you could use all the things that I've been through. But God, if you can, I want to submit to you, Lord. I want to be used to encourage and equip a generation to follow you. Teenagers, I pray that this morning that you would commit to living lives of purity. That you would would commit to uh, being people that say, you know what? I'm not going to conform to the culture of this world. But I want to live as an example to this world. I don't want anybody to look down on me, but I want to be an example and a testimony of the gospel and just the reality 
of the truth of God's word as I live my life. And, and here's the reality. See, every one of us, Father, we recognize every one of us, none of us can do this in our own strength. There's not a person in here that is prideful enough. To, see, pride's what gets us in the mess where we say, you know what, I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to do this. But Lord, we come, Lord, in humble just recognition that there's none of us that are strong enough in our own strength to do this. But Lord, we read that the grace of God has appeared. And through the power of your spirit, Lord, you, in your grace, Lord, will equip us and lead us and enable us, Lord, to do what you have called us to do. And so, Lord, I pray that we come today, Lord, in surrender to your plan. Lord, that we might invest in a generation, that we might pour our very lives out for the greatest lostness in our world, for a generation that's growing up and not knowing you. Father, we trust you and we love you. Lord, we pray for those that are gathered here if they've never trusted you for salvation. Lord, we're reminded in even this passage, Lord, that your grace, Lord, has appeared in Jesus Christ. Lord, that salvation has been made available for all people. Lord, that we are to turn from our sin and turn from the ungodliness of this world. That we turn to you, God, trusting in you. The work of the cross, God, not because of our good, not because of anything that we've done, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in the work of the cross, in Christ alone, we surrender our lives. Lord, if there's someone that doesn't know you, I pray that today, Lord, they would turn from their sin and they would turn to you. They would call on your name and they would be saved. Lord, speak to our hearts. Let us leave different, Lord. Father, we love you and we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and worship this morning? If God speaks to your heart, will you be obedient?